Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. And we're so glad you are with us on the Three Martini Lunch today. Jim, the bar is uh, fairly empty because pretty much everyone in Washington was in the bar till about uh, 1 or 2 in the morning <laughs> last night because the Washington Nationals are world champions. I, of course, watched it from the best seat in the house, which was my couch. Uh, I can't say I'm a Nats fan. I will say they're probably the uh, big four sports team around here that annoys me the least. Uh, this is a team that was off to a horrible start in May. They were 12 games under 500 after 50 games, but they didn't point fingers. They worked together. Uh, they didn't get down. They just kept uh, pushing through. And uh, in the end, they won because they didn't act like most people act in Washington. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Team players, egos didn't matter. Kind of a, you know, interest surprise, a little bit of wackiness and, you know, the baby shark song and, and all of that stuff. Um, no, this is a terrific feel-good story in a city that doesn't generate many of them. Um <laughs> And again, the other thing was just kind of, I'm a soft Nationals fan. We usually go to about one game a year. We did not go this year. Uh, and naturally, that's the year they won this the World Series. Um, but, uh, you know, look, it, it is, I think there's actually a very useful lesson for everyone in sports, <clears throat> Jets and Bears, um, <laughs> that it does not matter how you start the season. It does not matter if you get off to a bad start. One of the weird things about the entire series was how often the Nats pitchers would have a terrible first inning. Uh, you look at their ERAs for those first innings. It was, you know, up in double digits. It was, you know, for those national debt numbers. Uh, and then in the second inning on, all of a sudden they'd buckle down and just do terrific. So the lesson of the Washington Nationals is it does not matter how you started. It matters how you finish. And, you know, look, between this and the Capitals, Washington, D.C., the city of champions, and the Mystics. And uh, as we said yesterday, you know, the, the Wizards have some momentum, and, and also there's a professional football team. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be the day. But uh, maybe someday down the road for the Redskins. And uh, we'll see if the Nats uh, make their way to the to the White House. And uh, also very weird that uh, the road team won every game in a seven-game series. Honey is our sponsor today. If you're buying gifts this holiday season, you need Honey. It's just basically the simplest way to save money when shopping online. You can get it in just two clicks. Joinhoney.com slash martini. So, Jim... Uh, this is completely coincidental to the fact that the Nationals are world champions. We have three good martinis once again today, so let's uh, dive right in. We've got a lot of meaty stuff here in this first good martini. Kamala Harris, uh, according to Politico and many other reports, is dramatically restructuring her campaign, and that is code word for we're spending too much money, we're running out of money, therefore people are getting laid off, uh, we're going to be spending less money on uh, some of the early states. So right now, things are not looking good for, for Kamala Harris. Uh, she was asked about this. I'm not sure where she was. I think she was in Iowa, but I can't be certain. And uh, she says, nothing to see here. Totally fine. Everything's on schedule. Not to worry. We're still going to be the nominee. A couple different clips here. We have uh, made a decision, a, a difficult decision, but made a decision of what we need to do to win. And, um, and that is about clearing a path through Iowa and putting our resources into Iowa, as we have indicated from the beginning. And so that's where we are. And so she's got the Belichick attitude of moving on to Iowa, but uh, here's what she uh, has to say about the long term. From where we stand right now, knowing the kind of support we have here in Iowa and in other states where we are still very much committed to being, um, I do believe that we have a path and that we are on a path to be able to win the nomination. 
Well, she can believe that, but let's look at some of the data here. First of all, the layoffs are coming in places like New Hampshire, Nevada, and even her home state of California, which is obviously a huge delegate prize. Jim, let's look at some of the recent polling data that just came out, too. In a national poll, uh, Joe Biden, according to USA Today, Suffolk is at 26%. Then you got Warren, 17 Sanders, 13 Buttigieg, 10 Tulsi Gabbard, thanks to Hillary Clinton, up to 4%. And Andrew Yang and Kamala Harris at 3%. You're like, okay, well, national polls, the primers and caucuses don't work that way. The Electoral College doesn't work that way. Tell me about the states. Okay. Bernie Sanders is now ahead in New Hampshire. Warren in second. Biden in third. Buttigieg fourth. Uh, Behind that at 5%, we've got Gabbard, Klobuchar, and Yang. Harris, who was at 9% in July, now just at 3%. So she has dropped uh, precipitously in New Hampshire. But as you heard, Jim, it's all about Iowa. She's perfectly invested there. She knows the kind of support she has. Let's look at the support she has there. Uh, The most recent Iowa poll has her at 3%. That's good for sixth place. Uh, The most recent poll before that had her at 3%, tied with Tulsi Gabbard, I might add, who she said wasn't a top-tier player, and that she was uh, also in sixth place. So uh, no matter how you slice this, things are not going well for Kamala Harris, and you have to wonder how long she'll be in the game here. No, and she really wants to have some Washington Nationals uh, metaphors applied to her because this this is the equivalent of that 19 and and 31 start. You know, look, could she turn it around? Sure. Um, I think there is something fairly revealing, though, that she's one of the few candidates who you could strongly argue was either in the top tier or knocking on the door of the top tier around early to midsummer. that really, you know, just brutal performance against uh, Joe Biden in that first debate. And it's been a long, slow slide ever since, particularly when her record came under attack from Tulsi Gabbard. Um, But also various other candidates have taken some shots at her. And so I will admit on this one, she was one of the people at the beginning of the cycle who I looked at and said, oh, yeah, I could see her being the nominee. I may have even missed when, you know, somebody... uh, Asked me who I predicted was going to win. I might have put her on that. There, there was a long time this philosophy in their certain states because of their economic power, because of their cultural power, because of their um, just stature on the national landscape, that if you were elected statewide to them, you were automatically something of a player on the political scene uh, and a potential presidential candidate. And I think, you know, governor of New York was one of those positions. Uh, I think you can say governor of California, it, it, one of those positions and senator from California. I think those days may have come to an end. Um, it's, you know, obviously this is a state that's been trending blue probably since uh, uh, Reagan and, and George H.W. Bush. Um, but it's now become not only so blue, what it takes to succeed in the state of California is not necessarily what it takes to succeed, even amongst Democratic voters in other states. I think there's actually a very interesting you know, argument you can say about almost all of these candidates who have run and who have really gotten no traction. Harris is probably the, the biggest and most uh, biggest example of this, but I think it applies to Kirsten Gillibrand, Julian Castro, uh, Beto O'Rourke, Amy Klobuchar, if you want to throw her in there too, and probably even Cory Booker. Almost none of them have had a tough general election. Those are all pretty darn Democratic states, or in the case of O'Rourke and Castro, those are pretty darn democratic localities located within the state of Texas. So they've never had to compete in a really tough situation. If you win the democratic primary in those small places, you pretty much won the election. And I don't think that's good training for a presidential candidate. And I think it shows. I think that, you know, then it's also running for president is very hard. Running for president in a crowded field is very hard. Um, but Harris is one of the, is the only person who you could say had really fumbled in this election 
Uh, could she turn around? I suppose, but this is a bad sign. The, the, just as you know, every baseball team for the rest of time is going to cite the Washington Nationals. The traditional uh, metaphor or comparison in these circumstances is people talk about the early, probably you know, mid to late 2007. John McCain's campaign was looking in rough shape, had to lay people off. Um, I think the the anecdote everybody remarks is that you know John McCain had to carry his own luggage. There was nobody to carry his bags to drag his bags when he traveled. And, you know, and by golly, John McCain won. Okay, that's that's the one in a million case where you come back from being way down in the polls and lousy fundraising and all that kind of stuff. Kamala Harris could do it. It does not look like she's going to do it. And I don't know about you, Greg, I love seeing giant slices of humble pie served to all of these once extraordinarily overhyped Democratic rising stars. No, that's exactly right. And I think there's kind of like Hillary and kind of like Elizabeth Warren, although Warren's doing better at the moment, there's just this uh, glaring inauthenticity to her. And, of course, the the story that most comes to mind is how she was smoking weed and listening to Tupac while in college back in the mid-'80s. It's kind of these unforced errors that wouldn't really have helped you that much anyway, but just shows how craven and, and fake you are. And so when that stands out in a field against people like Beto O'Rourke and Cory Booker, who literally invented people to help launch his political career— uh, that's pretty impressive in a weird yeah, way. Also, yeah. Let's also not forget that early on, for somebody who seemed ready to run, she kept changing her mind on what her actual position was. <laughs> right. You know, at all the CNN town halls and stuff like that. She's like, we should look at having felons vote. Oh, no, I didn't mean that at all. Or, oh, yes, I definitely support the, you know, you know, if you, the early flip flops probably didn't help her. Um, and just a general persona. Um, I, I, I think if, when we if, if she goes no, no further than this race, what I'll remember the most is the Saturday Night Live sketch saying that she was the character on a TNT legal drama uh, <laughs> and having her turn to the camera and saying, Kamala, Thursdays at nine at TNT. <laughs> Everything just seemed a little too rehearsed, a little too perfect. Uh, the zingers were clearly canned and prepared. And just, you know, but, you know, speaking for myself and perhaps for you, Greg, and for, I suspect for a significant number of our listeners. We're not going to miss her. <laughs> no, we're also not going to be rid of her, though, because she's still going to be in the U.S. Senate, hopefully still in the minority. But that's a whole other issue. Uh, in the meantime, when you're not spending any money, not that you probably were anyway, on the Kamala Harris for president campaign, uh, you still want to save money and get good deals. And that's where honey comes in, because you're going to be getting a lot of holiday gifts pretty soon. It's just around the corner. Tomorrow's November. Today's Halloween, by the way. Happy Halloween. Overspending on gifts is definitely not a fun thing to do, especially when you find out later that you could have gotten big deals. Well, that's where Honey comes in. Honey is a free browser extension that automatically finds the best promo codes and the best deals wherever you shop online. So you don't have to go hunt for those things. When you have Honey, you always get the best deals without even trying on over 20,000 sites and big sites like Amazon, eBay, uh, J. Crew, Sephora, Expedia, Target, Best Buy, and so many others. Even Pizza Hut. So when you're building up your uh, Christmas list here and trying to make sure that everybody is checked off, get the Honey app, apply it. You're going to save enough money so you can buy those things you need at the very last minute. You'll be excited. You'll be in a better holiday mood knowing that that next credit card bill won't be quite as bad. And you'll have the chance to maybe spend just a little bit of something on yourself. Honey has found more than 10 million members, more than a billion dollars in savings. That is billion with a B. Get these people handling the purchasing for the U.S. government, please. <laughs> uh, Honey supports more than 20,000 stores online. So there's an excellent chance you can always find exactly what you want. And Honey has more than 100,000 five-star reviews on the Google Chrome store. You do the math on that, Greg. 
that's 500,000 stars. <laughs> that's right. That's a lot of stars. So if you're buying gifts this holiday season, and I'm guessing you are, you simply need Honey. If you're not, you probably know someone who is, so do them a favor and tell them about Honey. Honey can help make sure that you're getting the best price for whatever you're buying. Don't have those regrets afterwards knowing that you could have gotten it cheaper. It's free to use and installs in just two clicks. Get Honey for free, for free at joinhoney.com slash martini. That's joinhoney.com slash martini. All right, Jim, today's a very poll-heavy edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We talked about the polls that are showing things not so great for Kamala Harris nationally or in the early states of Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, Somebody else, though, is having a much better day when it comes to polls, and that is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. We've talked about this a couple times this year, just sworn in earlier this year. His race last fall, of course, went to a recount. Andrew Gillum, the whole mess in Broward County, and Brenda Snipes, that seems like ancient history now, not only to us, but the the voters in the state of Florida. It's not a uh, nip-and-tuck analysis for Florida voters when it comes to Governor DeSantis. He's got a 72% approval rating, 36% strongly approved, 36% somewhat approved, and just 17% disapprove. Uh, 56% of Democrats approve, including 20 strongly, 91% of Republicans strongly approve. And if you look at the cross-sections down the line, 74% of Hispanics approve, nearly 70% of women, even a majority of of black voters in the state. Uh, Jim, I almost uh, hunted up the old clip from the secretary in Ferris Bueller's day off where she's listing off all the cliques in the high school that like Ferris Bueller. They adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. <laughs> righteous dude, Florida Governor DeSantis. <laughs> um, I, I, look, I, I want to point out, not only is he so widely supported, you, you listed all the numbers of different demographics. In fact, Florida man himself uh, <laughs> said he approved of the job the governor was doing before attempting to shoplift live crabs from a convenience store by putting them in his pants and riding out in an alligator. Um, no, uh, this is all, like, again, you talk about a guy who won his, uh, his race, if not by the skin of his teeth, but in a very close, hard-fought race. Democrats really thought they were going to have it. We've talked in past podcasts about him uh, getting rid of the sheriff of Broward County. My colleagues are working on this. And periodically, by the way, uh, Charlie Cooks lives in uh, the Jacksonville area. Uh, comes up for uh, National Review stuff regularly, but basically he he, he lives in Florida and never lets us forget it um, and how much he enjoys it down there. Uh, big fan of DeSantis, saw big things from him, but he said even he's surprised by how broad-based the support is. It's one part conservatism, conservative policies, uh, and common sense conservative policies. It's one part just flat-out good attention to state services. Uh, you know, if, if you're governor of Florida, you're going to be dealing with hurricanes, you're going to be dealing with... Uh, uh, storm preparation and, and things like that. Um, and then the third thing which you thought was interesting is environmentalism. You know, Florida's of all political stripes love where they live. They love the, the uh, natural beauty of the state and they want to preserve it. So um, DeSantis really seems to have mastered that formula. Nobody thinks his number is going to remain this high all the way through reelection. But, um, well, you want to talk about a Republican governor who's getting it done uh, in a state that, you know, for a long time was a swing state. I think it's kind of start, time to start asking ourselves whether Florida is still a swing state. We talked about a bunch of purple states that are turning blue. Uh, is Florida now turning into a not-so-purple, pretty darn red state? It's a good question. Be curious to see whether he could have coattails for the president. That's not usually the way it works. They obviously won't be on the ballot at the same time. But when you have a super popular governor who endorses the president, it could certainly help. Um, 
We'll find out about that. But yeah, it's it's he does have strong conservative principles, but he's, there's also a tremendous pragmatism. And I think a lot of us would argue that conservatism and pragmatism often go hand in hand. Uh, but uh, he does it in a, in a fairly nonpartisan way. And that's why you see some of these amazing numbers from Democrats uh, as well. So uh, if there's a formula there, uh, Republicans should start paying attention because uh, there aren't too many states more critical politically than Florida. And uh, Ron DeSantis is off to a great start there. Less than a year on the job. All right, let's move on to another set of polling. Today, of course, the Democrats in the House of Representatives are expected to formally launch their impeachment inquiry. It's actually been going on for longer than a month, and they're just finally getting around to the vote now. Uh, There'll still be some depositions behind closed doors and eventually uh, hearings in open session with some of the people that uh, have given depositions. But as the Democrats uh, lick their chops here, and even as national surveys suggest that uh, there's at least a plurality and in some polls uh, a slight majority for impeachment and possibly even removal, it's not the case in the swing states, which is very significant heading into 2020. Uh, The Hill is reporting uh, that a New York Times-Siena College battleground poll released Wednesday found that majorities Majorities now in Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, and Florida oppose removing the president from office through impeachments. However, majorities or pluralities do support an investigation. So, Jim, a lot of these uh, states where they're not leaning towards impeachment right now, uh, those opposed might be under 50 percent, or if they're over, they're just over. So Trump's definitely looking at worse numbers than Clinton ever was 20 years ago. But if Democrats are thinking this is the fast track to taking back the White House, as Lee Corsa would say, not so fast. Yeah, a um, couple of things come up. First of all, we should note, uh, Greg, as of our as we were talking, the House officially banged the gavel down on the vote. It passed 232 to 196. No Republicans voted for starting the impeachment inquiry. Two Democrats opposed it. Otherwise, a party line vote. Look. I'm not going to, you know, there's no getting around it. Having anywhere near 50% saying the president should be removed from office, that's bad news and that's a bad sign. And anytime it goes above 50%, that's bad news and that's a bad sign. But the fact that you're seeing different numbers in some of these swing states does kind of indicate, okay, you know, we remain a highly polarized uh, nation, but amongst the folks who are independents in states like New Hampshire and some of these other swing states, they're not quite convinced, they're not quite on board. You know, it makes the possibility of a Senate conviction with 67 votes, which always seemed like one of the longest of long shots, seem pretty impossible, barring some, you know, Trump actually goes out and starts shooting people on Fifth Avenue. Um, And then the next thing is, is that, you know, the question, if people in these states are not convinced that impeachment is a good idea, that they, you know, don't want to, it could be because they don't think Trump did anything wrong. They may think that what he did was wrong. It doesn't rise to the level of of removing a president from office. It may be that they believe the proper time to make that decision is election day 2020. Any of those work for the president. And I think that, uh, you know, that gives him a chance to make an argument that, hey, uh, there was a a Trump ad that ran during the uh, World Series last night. And it was basically like, you know, he's, he's something like he's not a nice guy, but you need somebody like Trump to shake up Washington. Trump can say, look, the, from the before I even got sworn in, these folks have been trying to get rid of me. These folks have been trying to get believe they believe that I am not legitimate, even though I won the election fair and square through the Electoral College, even though, you know, they never gave me a chance. They never agreed to work with me. They've been you know, constantly trying to get oppose me through every possible tool since the beginning. And I think that'd be a fairly persuasive message to a lot of people, including people who are not down the line conservatives or MAGA heads. Um, but we will have to wait and see. But again, that's the, you know, in a lot of polling for this administration, impeachment is bad. 
that is one of the silver linings that in the swing states, the numbers don't look quite the same as they do nationally. Yeah, and it sounds like these folks in the swing states are taking this seriously. They do want to hear more. They want the process to go forward, but they're not ready to just drop the hammer on them because of what's been leaked uh, from Adam Schiff and, and, of course, the work that most of the media is doing uh, to gin up uh, a, a lot of opposition to him through this process. So, uh, Jim, I do want to say kudos to The New York Times for having this creative idea of actually doing the polling specifically in the swing states as, as opposed to nationally just to see what we see that might be different there which is a nice departure from the New York Times, which yesterday devoted two of its reporters to pointing out the fact that Trump retweeted a meme of him giving the Medal of Honor to the dog from the Baghdadi raid didn't actually happen. Yeah, I, I want to salute Wolfward and Barkstein. Uh, two rep- <laughs> not just one reporter, two reporters. One reporter, you can like, okay, they decided to write about it. The other thing which kind of jumps out about this is, you know, a couple of, a while ago, uh, Trump said something silly and Hillary Clinton had tweeted out some sort of, uh, you know, faked letter from the Cold War days of the, the Russians or something. And everyone said, ah, you know, Hillary Clinton, master troll. So I want to say to those people, show me one person in America who thought that there had just been a formal ceremony in the White House in which Trump was putting the Medal of Honor around the neck of a dog. <laughs> By the way, Greg, he should do that. <laughs> it, it, assuming, of course, we can name the dog because uh, the name is classified. Unless, Craig, I've been sitting here thinking, what if the dog's name is actually the word classified? That would be genius, actually. Classified, come here. Classified attack. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. According to Trump, the dog is coming next week, though. So uh, we'll see if he gets any awards. That's the photo op that's going to run in every Trump ad between now and (laughs) Absolutely. Assuming they get along. Because if the dog ends up nipping him or something, then we'll just get a series of tweets about how the dog was out of control or something. But... He bit me like a dog. <laughs> I've got even more good news. Tomorrow's Friday. See you then. See you, see you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Really glad you were with us today on the Three Martini Lunch. And don't forget our friends over at Honey. That's joinhoney.com slash martini and start saving money online.